You live in Alaska, right? Uh, yeah, yeah, the snow is a bummer. Uh, but if you haven't been to Chi Alpha before, we want to thank you for coming. We're so excited about baptism night. We are pumped to have a party with those uh, who are deciding to get baptized next week. It's going to be uh, a blast. We, we celebrate baptisms. Uh, we kind of go all out. Um, and, and it really is a party. So bring your noisemakers, bring your signs, uh, bring whatever else it is to celebrate with those getting baptized that you know. And, uh, and we, we're excited. If you are making that decision to be baptized, um, uh, we, we get baptized because Jesus got baptized. We get baptized because uh, Jesus commanded us to be baptized. And it uh, is a command that is meant to, uh, it's an action that's meant to follow you making a decision to accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And uh, it's a way of publicly declaring that you have been made a new creation through Christ. And so uh, it's a big deal. I mean, that's like uh, the most, following Jesus is the most important decision you will ever make in your life. We truly do believe that because it has eternal consequences. And, uh, and so, you know, what better thing to celebrate than, than celebrating an eternal decision that someone's making. So pretty cool. Uh, we are going to jump into the, to the word tonight, um, but before we do that, uh, anybody did has anybody ever had something that you were expecting to have happen and it didn't happen and you were disappointed? You know what I'm talking about? Okay, so expectations are a dangerous thing, right? Because uh, sometimes expectations can set us up for disappointment. I was uh, when I was just a wee little lad. I was probably only uh, I don't know four years old, four or five years old, or whatever. Uh, it was uh, uh, all of you are picturing like this like little curly head kid like running around in circles. That was me. All right, and uh, I didn't really have curly hair back then. I don't really know what happened, but uh, but uh, I was a little kid. I was I was uh, at my grandma's house, and uh, I was there all afternoon. And my grandma decided that she was going to bake me cookies which is like pretty awesome thing to have happen when you're just a little guy. And uh, and I was super pumped about these cookies. And so um, I was watching my grandma mix the cookies up, and I kept asking her when they're going to be ready. Uh, you guys know, like, how many of you know that when you were a little kid, you have, like, uh, time just kind of runs differently for you. You know what I'm talking about? Like, uh, f- a-, a year back then was like 10 years today, you know? Uh, it's just like this, I don't know what it is, it's like this time warp thing that we go through as kids. So my, my grandma was making these cookies, and they could, like, not come out of the oven fast enough. In fact, I'm pretty sure, I wasn't sure if she was, like, cooking a slow-roasted prime rib or if she was, like, baking cookies in her oven. And so I had her turn on the light on the oven, and I would go play for a little bit, and then I would run back, and I would check the cookies, and I'd ask my grandma how long they're going to be ready. And she'd say, just keep waiting, Stephen. And so I'd run back and play, and then I would come back, and, uh, and I would look at the oven again and be like, Grandma, when are they going to be ready? And I, I was building all of this anticipation for these cookies that were in the oven. And finally, finally the timer went off. The cookies came out of the oven. I run over. My grandma takes one off the pan. It is still warm. It is gooey. We've all been there before. We love that area of the cookie where it's nice and gooey in the middle, just baked. It's wonderful. And I was dipping it in my milk to cool it off, and I put it in my mouth, and much to my dismay, what I thought was a chocolate chip cookie was a raisin bran cookie. <laughs> now listen, there's something that happens in a five-year-old's heart 
when he gets duped by his grandmother, all right? I was mad. I was legitimately angry with my grandma. I was like, why would you ruin a cookie and put raisin and bran inside of the cookie? Like, it's not going to be healthy anyways. Let's, let's just go full send with this thing, you know? For goodness sakes, like, this is terrible. And I remember, like, legitimately, five-year-old Stephen was, like, mad. He was mad at his own grandmother. He was ticked off. And to this day, I don't know if it was, like, that significantly of a traumatic experience. To this day, I cannot eat a Raisin Bran cookie. I like bran. I like cookies, and I like raisins, but I do not like them together, and I attribute it all to my grandmother, all right? I've, I've told her that. I've forgiven my grandma, all right? I've forgiven my grandma. We've gotten past this, but you see, I was, I was as that little kid, I had an expectation that was significantly, that left me significantly disappointed, and it was the anticipation, it was the expectation that built up in my heart and in my mind that eventually caused me to have an attitude about raising cookies and to have an attitude against my grandma. And I think the same thing can happen with expectations in any area of our lives. Expectations can get us into trouble if we are not careful. You see, I think all of us play, place expectations on maybe a desire in our life that, that we expect that maybe this thing is going to happen or this thing will, I, I will eventually uh, achieve this or I will gain enough money to buy this. We have an expectation of those around us that this person is going to behave and love me and treat me in this way. We have expectations of, of God, right, that God should behave in a specific way that I see best fit. How many people know what I'm talking about? And we say, God, you should, I, I, I know what my perfect, uh, you, people say that you're a perfect God, and if you were a perfect God, then I wouldn't have to study for my test tomorrow, and I'd just be able to get an A, right? That's an absurd example, but we do that with a lot of things in our lives, right? We expect God to move in one way, and sometimes he doesn't move the way we expect him to move. And when that happens, when expectations are not met, it is very hard for an, a, a, the wrong attitude to not start to come into our life, into our heart. James chapter 4 says it this way. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from the desires that battle within you? You desire, but you do not have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with the wrong motives that you may spend it on your own pleasures. So essentially, this uh, this verse in James is kind of like reading the mind of, of every single like five year old that ever existed. You know what I'm saying? Uh, but also it reads it's kind of like it's kind of looking into our heart as well. It's saying, man, yeah, that is actually true. This is why I fight with people. This is why I get upset. This is why I, I have the tendency to have an attitude at times. When we have unrealistic expectations, it gives way to potential bad attitudes in our lives. Now, what I'm not saying, I'm going to throw this disclaimer out there before we dig into this more in depth. Uh, what I am not saying is that we, can, that we can't expect God to move in the ways that he promises to move, okay? We can go to God with an expectation that the promises that he has laid out in Scripture are a yes and amen, as we just shared, or as we just sang, right? 
that uh, that if we, if we call upon the name of the Lord Je- of, of of Jesus Christ, that we will be saved. That God wants to bring us healing. That He wants to bring us restoration. All of those things. So I'm not talking about that. But what I'm saying is that when we start with an attitude of expectation, we and, and we start telling God what He should be doing, it gets us in trouble. Expectations can cause us to build unrealistic fantasies. And they can skew our, our, our value system. And that's what we're going to talk about. So really what, what I want us to talk about tonight is how we guard ourselves against an expectation attitude. And so we're going to look at a guy by the name of Jonah. If you were here last week, uh, we talked about the first part of Jonah. And uh, Bree did a great job. How many people loved Bree's message last week? Come on. Great job, Bree. It was a wonderful message. And what she challenged us to think about was what it looks like when we're running from God and how to turn the other way and make sure that there's no area in our life where we are running from God in. And we talked about Jonah last week, the first part of the book of Jonah. And today, tonight, we are going to talk about the last part of the book of Jonah. Because I think Jonah was a guy who had an expectation attitude in his life. And so to give you a background of the book of Jonah, in case you weren't here last week, you may know the story. He, uh, God called him to be a prophet, which means that he was called to speak on behalf of God to people that God sent him to. And he was called to go to the city of Nineveh, and he didn't want to go to Nineveh, so he ran the other way. He bolted, and uh, he was on a ship running away from Nineveh when a big storm came up. They threw him overboard. And, uh, and he got swallowed by a giant fish, and he prayed in the belly of the fish, God, please spare me, and the fish spit him up, and uh, uh, that was a weird vomit noise, but uh, that doesn't actually sound what, like puking sounds like, but I'm not going to do the real noise. So, uh, so he puked him up on, uh, on a beach, and he said, uh, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go now, right? Which is like kind of funny to me, like, oh, well, duh, right? Like, uh, what else would God send, you know, if now you're on land, like there's going to be like an even bigger monster. I don't even know what that would be to come eat you again. So he's like, I don't want to get eaten again. I'll go to Nineveh. And he goes to Nineveh. He preaches the, the word. He speaks the word that God sent him to speak to this city that was, that was in a, an intense amount of sin. And the entire city repents. They turn to God. That's good, right? That's awesome. But not for, not, not for Jonah. Jonah decides something else. He decides to have an expectation attitude. And so let's read Jonah 4. Jonah says this, But to Jonah, this seemed very wrong. And he became angry. He prayed to the Lord, Isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? That this is what I tried to forestall by a by fleeing from Tarshish, or to Tarshish, sorry. I knew that you are gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. He's being pretty dramatic here, right? All right? So, but the Lord replied, is it right for you to be angry? And Jonah, like, ignores God. He doesn't, he doesn't even, I'm, I'm not talking to you. All right. And so Jonah had gone out and sat down in a place east of the city. There he made himself a shelter, sat in its shade, 
and waited to see what would happen to the city. He literally went into the corner to pout, right? Well, I'm not hungry, right? Like when we were like mad and we're like, I don't want to eat. And then a little bit later, we like sneak back to the table. He's acting like a five-year-old. It's ridiculous. However, oh, we'll get that. Okay, so he went out to the, and he sat down. He built a, he built a, a, a shelter. Then the Lord God provided a leafy plant and made it grow up over Jonah to give shade for his head to ease his discomfort. Oh, that's nice. And Jonah was very happy about the plant. But at dawn, the next day, God provided a worm, which chewed the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind, and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. He wanted to die and said, it would be better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? It is, he said, and I'm so angry, I wish I were dead. Jonah needs counseling, man. All right. But the Lord said, you have been concerned about this plant, though you did not tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight. And should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh, in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left, and also many animals? I love that last part. Like, yeah, there's animals too there, Jonah. All right. Jonah had a bad attitude because he had an expectation for one for God to do one thing. He had an expectation for people to behave one way. And when the people and God did not behave the way Jonah wanted them to behave, he got a bad attitude. His heart got resentful. And he had the inability to receive any type of ministry or any type of thing that God wanted to give to him and speak to him. And I wish I could say that I know that this, that Jonah's story ends well, but this is where the book of Jonah ends. And I don't know if it ends well, right? But unless Jonah significantly changed his attitude, it probably wasn't going to for Jonah. So what can we learn from Jonah as to how to protect ourselves from expectation attitudes? There are three perspectives that lead us to expectation attitudes. The first one is this, is the perspective of personal fantasy. The perspective of personal or selfish fantasy. Jonah had an expectation of what he wanted to see happen. He wanted to see a city get destroyed. Right? That's what he wanted. And 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 that's weird. It's kind of like a, like that's pretty sick, Jonah, right? But he wanted to see a city get to get destroyed. He didn't want God to be compassionate. And when it didn't go his way, he got angry with God. And I think we do that a lot of times. I think that when things don't go our way, we get angry with God. I've heard it said this way, is that fantasy is the enemy of intimacy. Fantasy is the enemy of intimacy. What do I mean by that? That when we build things up in our heads to look a certain way, and those expectations aren't met, it actually puts a... A, a chasm between us and God, because what happens is we say, God, if, if you just if you just knew if you really knew better then you would act the way I wanted you to act. I've heard it said another way is that expectation. Is resentment that is under construction. 
Expectation is resentment that is under construction. So essentially, when we have an expectation that, God, you have to act this way, and if you don't act this way, then I'm not going to love you, or if whatever it is, or, or we have that expectation on a person, essentially what we are doing is we are building the building blocks for resentment, for bitterness to come into our life when that person sets us up for disappointment. I think this is so true in so many areas of our lives. I think uh, uh, not just with God, but also in in our our relationships as well. So, uh, for example, if I have an unrealistic expectation on uh, Aaron, okay, I have a I have a a a selfish a selfish perspective of what Aaron should do. And I have an expectation on, let's just say, we'll use the example of uh, I'm expecting her to wash uh, wash the car this weekend, okay? And I come home, and I'm expecting Aaron to have washed the car. And I come home, there are, with that expectation, there's really only one of two options that are going to happen when I show up. Either Aaron would not have washed the car, which will leave me very disappointed and resentful, or she will have washed the car, and I will come home, and instead of being appreciative, I will say, oh, good. You see the difference in that? With an expectation, if I have an expectation on somebody in my life, even if they meet that expectation, it eliminates the, my ability to appreciate what they did for me or for me. You see how powerful expectation can be and how powerfully of a negative tool it can be? One of my spiritual heroes says it this way, that we expect nothing and appreciate everything from those around us. Because expectation eliminates appreciation. I, uh, I think that really the only way that we get around this perspective is if we surrender even our expectations at the feet of Jesus. You see, I think sometimes we expect God to move, and it might be in a really, like, good, not selfish sort of way. We, we have this perspective of, God, I really want to do this great thing for your kingdom. And I really want to make a difference. And I really want to make, really make your name known. And when it doesn't happen the way we want it to happen, we have a tendency to get mad at God. And if we surrender not just our will, but even our expectations for how God will fulfill that will in our lives, it leaves us at a place of peace and receiving from God. When I uh, first got called to Alaska, I, uh, I, was a, I was like 22 years old, and I was like gung-ho, man. I was moving to Alaska, and I was doing this thing. We're going for it. And I'll never forget, I, uh, I, was, um, I was like super excited because I had this like job opportunity up here this like one summer, and the job opportunity the door closed on this job opportunity. I said, shoot, that stinks. So then a couple, about a year and a half later, uh, it came time for me to student teach. And I was, I was getting a degree in education. I was like, I'm going to go student teach in Alaska. And so I had this expectation, like, I know God's called me there. I'm going. Here we go. And my advisor screwed something up with the paperwork. And didn't get it turned in in time, and I wasn't able to come student teach in Alaska. And I was mad at my advisor 
This was strike two. I was like, God, I thought you called me, and now you're, you've closed this door. You've closed this door. This doesn't make any sense. And then finally I, I graduated, and it was like time to go get a job, and I got offered a teaching job in Alaska, and I'm like, yeah, I'm going to Alaska, right? Like turn on that old Johnny Horton song, here we go, right? None to Alaska. You know, there we go, right? And I sat down with my pastor, and I said, Brad, I'm going to go. I'm going to teach in Alaska, and, and part-time I'm going to plant Chi Alpha, and it's going to be great. And he looked at me, and he said, Steve, don't do that. You're not ready. You'll crash and burn. It's like, wow, thanks for the inspirational speech, pastor. You know, like, wow, way to go. And I remember being so mad in that moment at Brad and so confused. And for a little while after that, I said, just forget it. Maybe God doesn't even want me to go. God, if, if you really wanted me in Alaska, you would have opened up the doors to get me there. And I almost let my heart grow resentful against God and against those around me because things were not happening in the timing or in the manner that I wanted them to happen. And I'm so thankful that Alaska or my pastor or whatever else it was did not have a resentful root get attached to it so as to distract me from what was a God-given call in my life. So I don't know what it is for you that God's called you to that maybe an expectation has gotten in the way. But I just challenge you to surrender that to him tonight. The second perspective is the you owe me perspective. The you owe me perspective. You know, it's funny, Jonah here claimed ownership over the vine or over that, that leafy plant that God gave him. And God reminds Jonah that the vine was not his to begin with. That I provided that for you, yes, but, like, that wasn't yours. You did not, like, grow that vine out of the ground. You did not bring life and sustenance and water to that vine. I actually did that for you. And for whatever reason, you're having this attitude right now that somehow I owe you. And I'm sure what Jonah was thinking at the time was, God, I just did this great thing for you. I just got... I just, got, I just got swallowed by a fish, vomited out on the beach, and now I'm in Nineveh. I went and did what you told me to, and now you can't even provide a leafy plant for me? Seriously? And he had a you owe me mentality. And I think we do this all the time to God, that we say, God, you owe me. We say, God, you owe me when, when we say, you know, how, how could have you ever let this bad thing happen? We probably all said that to God before, right? How could you let this bad thing happen? Well, when's the last time we've switched that around to a different perspective and said, how could you let anything good happen to me, a wretched man? That is not even worthy to stand in your presence. See the difference in that perspective? We say, God, you owe me when we say, why didn't you make me more like this person? Or why didn't you give me this gift? Or why didn't you give me this thing or this whatever? When in reality, the question we should be asking is, why did you entrust me, a sinner, with anything? And how great you are to be willing to give me breath that I breathe today. 
I think the solution to this is recognizing the value of Jesus in our lives, right? That we have to recognize that that God doesn't owe us anything. He never has owed us anything. He never will owe us anything. And for whatever reason, even though he didn't owe us anything, he actually gave us the greatest gift in the history of the world in Jesus Christ. And it's so funny how we say, oh, God, that, like, thanks for that Jesus guy. Appreciate it, but <laughs> let me tell you why you should do this thing over here. And we forget about the fact that we have everything we will ever need in Jesus. And the third perspective that I want to talk about tonight is the perspective of the skewed value. The skewed value. When we have a skewed value, I think uh, sometimes uh, when, when our, our value of things in our lives becomes skewed, I think it can, it can start to redirect us to an attitude of expectation. Um, so uh, I, was, I went to McDonald's today. And uh, I uh, I decided that uh, so so I pull up to McDonald's. I don't know if you guys saw the the new truck outside. All right, someone bought Chi Alpha that truck. All right, an organization bought Chi Alpha that truck, and uh, and so I was driving the 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 brand new 2019 Toyota Tundra. All right, like it was amazing. And here I go through the McDonald's drive-through to order my two McChickens for lunch. Okay, uh. Don't judge me. Yes, I make chickens for lunch, all right? Uh, but I, I'm driving through, and I, I park, and I'm about to pay. And for whatever reason, I, like, look down at the ground after I handed my credit card, and I see that there's, like, a bunch of change down there. And I'm like, that's a, that's a lot of change. It's like, I, this McChicken was only a buck fifty. I bet you I could cover that, you know? So I was like, hang on. And I get out of my door like this, and I, like, uh, squeeze out. And you know, like, how the wall is really straight. And I, like, close my door, and I get down like this. I pick up all of the change. like, And I look at the guy through the window. I'm like, a buck ten. And he, like, just, like, handed my credit card back. <laughs> and it was like, you're weird, dude. <laughs> so here comes Steve in his brand-new 2019 Toyota Tundra, excited about a buck ten, all right? And I don't know if you have a parent that has, like, taught you the value of a buck, all right? That was my parents. And and I think that when our value gets off, when our value system becomes skewed, we start to expect things to happen in our lives or expect us to have things or expect things to happen that may or may not be the most valuable thing for that situation. God reminds Jonah at the end of this passage, of the eternal value of the people of Nineveh. He says, Jonah, you're upset about a stupid little vine? And what I'm trying to teach you is that I care about the people of Nineveh. I'm a God of compassion and a God of mercy and a God of grace. And these people were about to have to experience my wrath and my judgment, but I didn't want them to. How much more important are the people of the city of Nineveh than your bad attitude and of the things that you're complaining about right now, Jonah? You see, Jonah, it was impossible for Jonah to have the right attitude because eternity wasn't in his mind at all. 
Jonah had nothing to gain earth, in an earthly sense from the people of Nineveh repenting. In fact, he probably had some things to lose. Because if you think about it, I think he, I think he was really excited to be like the prophet that went to Nineveh and like called down fire and brimstone from heaven. And Nineveh at the time was actually an enemy of his people. And it was a would have been a group of people that he probably would have had a lot of racism against, that he didn't like very much. So he actually had a lot of things to gain for being the person who went to Nineveh and took out all of the Ninevites. And so because he saw this as a personal loss, he got angry at God. When in reality... The eternal gain, had he had that perspective, would have influenced his attitude. And I think a lot of times we are trying to, we're trying to muster up strength to do things for God. We're trying to muster up uh, some more energy to do things for God. We're trying to muster up will and, and emotion and all of these things. God, I want to do something great for you. And it will be impossible to maintain that attitude if we are, have a skewed value of our why. And if we have a skewed value of the fact that it's about eternity, it isn't about me, it isn't about me fulfilling God's will, it isn't about me uh, stepping into my calling, it's not about me feeling fulfilled in life. It's not about that. It's about eternities. Being influenced. It's about my eternity being influenced. It's about people's eternities around me being influenced. And until we gain that perspective, then we'll, then we'll always have the tendency to have a bad attitude. If our, if our perspective is that I want to grow the world's largest small group or, the, Lord's, or the, the world's largest Chi Alpha ministry or this, that, or the other thing, if that is our perspective, if that's our expectation, you're going to be disappointed. Because you're not, you're not going to grow the world's biggest ministry. And some of you are like, I'll prove you wrong. <laughs> but you're probably not going to do that. And I think sometimes we build that up in our heads when, I, when in reality we say, God, I surrender my expectations to you. You don't owe me anything. I just want to be a humble, obedient servant to you. Help me remember the value of even just one sinner getting one step closer to coming to know you. And help me rejoice in that. I want to close with a passage from Matthew 26, and the worship team can come back up. I want to look at how different Jesus responds. So, same situation. Essentially the same situation. Matthew 26, and if you're, if you're not listening to anything else, I need you to listen to this tonight because this is good stuff. All right? Matthew 26, we see Jesus in the garden on the night before he would die on a cross for the sins of humanity. In fact, we celebrate this day, actually today in the church world. Tomorrow we celebrate Good Friday. The death of Jesus, we remember the death of Jesus on Sunday. We remember the, the resurrection of our, of our King and Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. 
So what that would mean is that tonight we would be celebrating his last evening with his disciples, the last supper, and, and him going into the garden to pray with his disciples. And this is what he says. So literally he is about to go and do the hardest thing any person has ever done. And we get to catch a glimpse of what it was like to be Jesus the night before that. I love the Bible. It's so cool, right? Like this is so neat that we get like an inside look at what Jesus was doing that night. It says, then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to them, sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and two sons of Zebedee along with him, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Now listen to this. Then he said to them, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Who does that sound like? Sounds like Jonah. Isn't it interesting that both men had an emotion that was so strong with sorrow and, and, and fear and anxiety that it felt like they were going to die. But watch how Jesus responds in contrast to the way Jonah responded. Stay here and keep watch with me. Going a little further, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, My father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. And he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. He gets kind of ticked off. And then he says this in verse 42. He went away a second time and prayed, My father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. He came back again and he found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. So he left them and went away once more and prayed a third time, saying the same thing. You see, guys, Jesus' response was not an attitude of unrealistic personal selfish fantasy. Essentially, he battles that, right? Like, God, this is going to be really difficult. And if there's any other way we can do this whole salvation thing, can we figure that out, please? Because I really, I, this is going to be really tough. But not my will, but your will be done. He surrendered his expectation at the feet of his father. And he didn't have the attitude that God owed him something. In fact, the Bible says that he did not see equality with God as something to be grasped. But he humbled himself to the point of death, even death on a cross. When have we told God, you owe me? Jesus said, the perfect human being, God himself, said the world doesn't owe me anything. The man that performed miracles, he walked on water, he opened blind eyes, he raised dead people from the grave. And he said, this world doesn't owe me anything. And I'm going to lay down my life for them. And he valued us. He valued eternity so much that he didn't let value perspectives get in his way. 
self-preservation, the self-preservation mechanism in Jesus' brain had to be firing at all cylinders. No, you don't want to do this. It's going to be painful. You don't want to, you don't want to do this. You don't want to do this. You don't want to do this. And he said, no, 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 no. The souls of every single human being that will ever walk the face of the earth until I come back is worth it. They're worth it. I'm so thankful that we serve a God, that we serve a Jesus that didn't let an expectation, an unrealistic expectation get in the way. So what attitude or attitudes do do we need to deal with tonight? We're going to do things just a little bit different than what we normally do. I'm going to have you all stand up. And uh, I don't know what it is. Maybe you have a personal, a personal selfish fantasy expectation that, that you've been angry at someone in your life because they haven't fulfilled or you've been angry at God. Maybe you say that, God, you owe me. Maybe you, maybe you haven't valued the right things. But tonight, we're just going to respond to God. And we're going to give him those attitudes. I'm not, I'm not asking if you felt this way. I'm asking, I'm asking when you felt this way and which attitude is most prevalent in our lives. Because every single one of us deal with this. I really do believe this. And maybe you're here tonight and... You are on, I, I really feel strongly that there's going to be someone here tonight that was on the brink of just throwing in the towel with their walk with Jesus. They essentially, you have told God, if one more bad, unexplainable thing happens, I'm done. And God wants you to know tonight that he loves you, that your victories have already been won, that eternity is, your eternity is secure, that your identity in him is secure and nothing is going to change that and he wants you to reconsider throwing in the towel so if you would bow your heads with me i just want to give people the chance if you're here tonight and you would like a personal you would like to start a personal relationship with jesus christ or maybe you've had one and it really has gone to the wayside and you'd like to say i want to get my life right with christ tonight can you just raise your hand and look at me? Is that for anybody? Okay. If you raise your hand to that question, I would love to see you. My wife would love to see you after the service. Just in the back, we would love to talk with you, pray for you. If you have, a, if you have an attitude, an expectation attitude that you want to get rid of tonight, I'm going to ask that you just would put that at the feet of Jesus tonight. If it's something specific that you need prayer for, we're going to be in the back praying. But I'm going to have... The worship team, lead us in that song. I'll stand with arms high and heart abandoned. And uh, and I'm going to ask that all of us, as we sing this song, would really think about the words that we're saying. And that as we say, I'm, I stand with arms high and heart abandoned in all, the one who gave it all, that we would go to him with an attitude of surrendered expectation. And whatever attitude you know that you've brought before the Lord, whatever Jonah attitude, just say, God, I'm sorry, and help me sort that out. Lord, we thank you that you're a God that's patient with us. 
when our five-year-old attitudes sometimes get in the way. And Lord, I just pray that you minister to our hearts right now in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, let's sing, you guys.